Hello and welcome to the Lee Summit Town Hall Podcast. I am Nick Parker and with me as he is every time during the election season, my co-host Jason Norberry. We are ready to start our candidate conversations for the Lee Summit City Council District 1. The candidates on your ballot, if you live in District 1, are Robert Dye, Kirk Sonickson, and Mia Pryor. We're going to do District 1 just a little bit differently and I know we are also late in posting this. I apologize. Some issues came up with one of our candidates, and we had to scramble and do things a little bit differently. Um, most of our candidate conversations have been happening in groups as we try to to get everything together in the time frame. But because we had to scramble a little bit, we're going to be different. We've got two of our three District 1 candidates able to participate, Kirk Sonickson and Mia Pryor. We will have those interviews done separately for District 1. We will start tonight. I'd like to welcome on Kirk Sonickson. We are moving on, Jason. We're going to ha- dig into our city council candidates beginning today. Good, because I'm so done with the schools. <laughs> well, I would hope so. At your age, I hope you're done. <laughs> I literally actually had a moment of that when I finished law school. And that last semester, I stopped and I thought, I'm never going back to school. <laughs> never, ever, ever, I, ever, I, ever. I can believe that. Today, we're going to dig into candidates for city council. We're going to start with District 1. If you live in District 1, basically encompassing the downtown area of Lee Summit and then moving in a narrow lane south. And then, was that a reverse L into some of the Raintree area? I don't know. It covers the south part. It's, an, it's, an, it's an odd little piece of the map. Go look at cityofleesummit.net. They've got a nice map there. I think I even have a map on linkedleesummit.com, but I don't remember where you're. I'm going to point you to do it because, well, I'm a little bit lazy. I'm going to go ahead and jump in uh, and, and get this get this started. And this is uh, this is the 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 one question really where you both get the same thing. I'm going to start with you, Kirk. If you are elected. After that four-year term, what what do you want to look back on and say, you know, you accomplished? What what would make you proud of a four-year term as a member of our city council? And just to just to be clear, so we're the same rules as we've been having. Just try to keep your answer to about a couple of minutes, and uh, and then we can work our way forward from there. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the the opportunity to speak. Uh, what I'd like the most accomplish over the four years, and if you know, when I leave is be able to say that Lee Summit is set up uh, with a better industrial commercial tax base that actually finances the city to be able to um, sustain all the emergency services, the public works, uh, schools, uh, where it's not dependent upon the residents to take up the tax burden. Uh, when we sit down and look at it, diversifying our industry base will help us sit down and be able to look at 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road and say that Lee Summit is going to be in a financial place that it can do whatever it wants. Awesome. That was well under two minutes. So congratulations to you and your punctuality. Uh, if we give points, you'd get them. If we, had, if we had points to give, that's true. We would we would give you points for that. Kirk, in your survey responses, you alluded to a worry about uh, inflating um, costs of city staff and kinds of projects. Um, and, and, and this goes to that same question about balancing and how to find where to budget. Are there some specific departments or projects that you're worried about? Um, or is this more just a general kind of vague concern? Um, 
one of the one of the projects that just came up or one of the presentations uh, that has come before city council is the PACE project. Uh, and it's a, basically a code enforcement project that they're looking at. Um, and in the, in the documents that I read on the city uh, website from the presentation said that in the first year, there won't be one or any additional staff added. But within that, there might be one. I think the presentation from uh, Arbo, I think Steve Arbo did it, said there would be one in the first year. But from there, the PACE program is basically proactive code enforcement where they actually have code enforcers, one per every 20,000. So you have five additional staff once this program is fully open. And then so you're paying for five more staff to go out and proactively look for code violations. Um, and so we have to find that money. We have to figure out how we're going to pay for five more staff to go around and look for code enforcement when we can actually use that money and hire more firefighters, more police. Uh, paramedics. Um, that to me is a much better use of the money. If we have to find it is going back towards the uh, public safety on that side. So this money we'd have to find. And then on top of that, the reasoning behind a PACE program within everything, um, they have, um, we, 90% of the current complaints are handled uh, by the uh, by the landowner. And our city is able to get to them within two days. And so there's a lot of different things. So is it necessary for that? Or can we invest into our um, structure within the firefighters, within police, within infrastructure? Um, and so that's one of the things. But then as we start going through and we look at a lot of other projects coming up that we're using uh, tax incentives or incentive packages to draw in businesses into the city, that those taxes are now being taken away from the city budget that would actually come back to the city and give them back out to developers. So, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here because you've raised like now three questions and I don't want to ask them all, but I, I you get to pick one out. right now. I know you I have pick to one. pick one. All right. So I guess number one, I think I'll try to play two into one question here to, yep. to make this. There's the first thing is the, the, the proactive code enforcement was something that came very directly out of the, the ignite comprehensive plan that the uh, that the city put, you know, it was a huge amount of citizen input and and other input that went into that. Um, so that's something that like we've asked for. And then on the flip side of that, on the sort of the not even the inverse, but kind of the other piece of that, as you were talking about, you you set the example up of of firefighters versus this program. But we also are now uh, proposing this uh, sales tax that will be on the ballot in April uh, to help fund additional staff positions, pay, all those sorts of things for the firefighters. So how do you um, – well, I guess we'll start with this. Where do you stand on that sales tax initiative? Do you have it a position? Uh, my position is that I support it. And anything that we can give to back to the firefighters to please be able to uh, – give them the equipment, the funds, uh, the personnel they need to do their job. My thing when I look at my position on that, is there a smarter way for the city to do this versus taxing our, our residents more? And yes, we do have one of the lowest tax rates within the metro area. The question becomes, when we're doing tax incentives, do we have to do the full term of tax incentives? 23 years, can we do a 10 year? Uh, if they do modifications that increase a TIF, anything that goes above the agreed amount should come back to the city, should not go to the developer. So there's some different things in there, being smart about our negotiations and how we actually bring in revenue to the city. So we don't have to tax our citizens, but I'm not gonna sit down and deny 
that it is needed for firefighters and our police and our you know first responders to have the equipment personnel and the needs that they need i want to come back to the to the 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 pace the proactive mm -hmm codes part first and, and this is really more a question of theory because i think this is this is an interesting thing when you look at your role the role of a, of a city council member that came directly out of the public participation component of of their ignite strategic plan which lasted a lot longer than it probably should have but you know thanks covid you ruined another thing for us um how do you balance that part of of the city council member's role between hearing the voice of of the people, right, the constituents, mm -hmm. and then with you, you know, like you just said, you had you come in with your own kind of list of priorities of how you look at things and analyze. So how how do you look at balancing those two pieces? Well, and again, we have to listen to our constituents. But we also have to listen to, you know, I'll listen to the district one, but we also have a whole city that we have to listen to. And so the council's looking at the whole city. Um, when I when I sit down and I like certain parts of pace. And so when you sit down and take a look at it, how can we get our community more involved versus getting code enforcers or officers, whatever you want to call them, uh, out there looking? If something comes in, can we get our our schools involved because I know my son, at least I'm at West has to do volunteer hours before he can graduate. Can we get a program that can be put out there from the city uh, saying, you know, if something comes up with mowing lawns and they're elderly people and they can't do it, do we have a resource that we can just actually say, Hey, call this number and we'll get it done. So there's parts about it, the outreach, the education in trying to get church groups, trying to get some different nonprofits, getting our schools involved in, in volunteer hours and get our connect, community connected together with that to be able to actually, you know, bring our community more together. Um, I understand that with the people want that. And I think that's a very good program part of that. And, and again, when I lived in California, I saw the, the proactive code enforcement and, you know, my father-in-law, you know, who would help people repair cars. He was a mechanic all his life and he would charge very little or if nothing to help these people who can't take it to a dealership who, who's charging what $120 an hour now. Um, and but they would come by and he'd be actively working the car and they say you can't have it on jacks, that's against code. So trying to sit down and balance a lot of that, not saying that's gonna happen here, but I think the the really the outreach, the the communication, getting a lot more of our community churches and nonprofits. Uh, more involved with this process um, is more of what I would look at. So how do I balance that? That would be my suggestion. You know, I'm not going to sit down and say, no, we need to change everything. No, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of progress going into this. So it's just a conversation piece going, are there better parts? Or are there different parts that we can modify to make it a very good program? Okay. Kirk, we're going to move on now to talk a little bit about, actually, you've mentioned this already. You've mentioned it a couple of times, this incentives. Uh, and, and, and we're going to kind of work through that. So it, in, well, literally this last week, um, the, the council heard a conceptual incentive proposal for a, a, a very big multi-use multi-family mixed housing project, uh, rental project, primarily there, uh, about 50 and blue parkway. Uh, and then um, also, of course, there is the downtown market uh, plaza development, which we still don't have like firm exact numbers, but there is also a housing component in that. And one could assume that uh, incentives will be asked for along that route. 
Um, you indicated in your questionnaire that you're in favor of incentives that, quote, benefit the city. Um, and that is, I think, kind of a very broad and, and not particularly specific term. But I want to say, can you give us your take on whether you think these projects and, you know, the, none of these are final. So, you don't. there's not you're not it's not dispositive, but at mm -hmm. least as you see them, whether you think they fit that definition and what cat like how are you coming to that decision on whether it benefits the city? Well, when, when I go back and, and look at. The, tax, the variety of tax incentives that we have available to entice businesses to come here. Um, when I sit down and look at them, some of the questions I have, will that developer already come here? And are they asking for free money? You know, 80% you know, of them normally are going to do that type of business anyway. So what I'm looking at when we look at our incentive packages to the two projects that you said now, um, anyone's uh, coming is how can we better negotiate those? So that way, the city has a, a way to be able to claw back some, some money uh, if anything does happen. Uh, do we have to go the full term if it's a TIF, tax in, uh, increment, increment of financing? You know, do we have to do the full 23 years or can we do 10? Uh, so that the length, of, the, the length of TIFs, the length of some of the tax abatements and um, different things are the ones that I look at going, do we have to do the full force of what, what is written by law that is the maximum amount. Um, another good one is like, I think I mentioned earlier is that you know, an, another project had to redesign a building, which actually increased the TIF payback by $3 million. In a sense, that developer just gave themselves $3 million raise over the course of that, of that uh, project. So the question is, can we negotiate there and say, okay, this, the, anything above what we've agreed upon in the original agreement will come back to the city. Um, and so those, those are the things I look at. So now well, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in real, really quick there. Does, does type of project matter to you in, in, in that assessment that, that, that you're making? Does the yes. type of development matter? Yeah. Uh, when I, when I sit down so in, in look of some of the, what I was just going to with, with the current projects that, um, uh, Jason just said is, okay, is there a need? What type of need? What is that going to bring to the city? What is it going to bring? Is it how many incremental jobs? Um, is it going to bring in incremental sales growth uh, within the city? Um, so there's a lot of different packages out there for both those projects that you just said. You know, so where's the need? Um, and, you know, but four is another uh, good example of how they look at a need for a project coming in. Um, but a type of project does. I mean, if it's going to grow our industrial base, for 30, 40, 50 years down the road, that's gonna be something that I would really like to sit down and say, okay, is it a, a full force of a, of a tax incentive that we're gonna use there? If in 20 years, the buildings are gonna be out of date, they need to be redone and the developer has to get more money, is that the best use? So I'm talking commercial, you know, in restaurants, um, retail spaces, how much of a turnover is it? You know, how much do they have to redesign stuff? What's the wear and tear on the building and the parking lots and so forth. So when we have to start looking at about 20 years, usually at the end of these uh, incentive packages that they have to reduce something or they have to ask for more money to keep the project going or to keep it viable, then that's not a benefit to the city because we're not going to see the incremental growth once that program ends. 
All right. Well, what about these these two programs um, specifically? And I know you raised this question in, uh, I believe, as a Facebook post about the downtown market plaza, whether like whether the apartments were really necessary as part of the project. And and obviously, uh, this the project at 50 and Blackwell Blue Parkway is is primarily residential, primarily residential in nature. Um what about that? How do you look at those projects? Because those are the ones I think where the, there's been more disagreement, perhaps controversy at the city council mm -hmm. level, but those projects that have a significant residential component. Well, and again, what type of residential are we needing within Lee Summit? Uh, when we sit down, what brought me here when I moved here with my family um, was that it was a very good single neighborhood, single family type of setup that really had a neighborhood component to it. Uh, really where I feel safe, my son, my, my wife, we can walk around the neighborhoods and feel safe. Um, no, we get to know our neighbors and everything like that. Um, when we go back and look at some of the other ones, I know the one at 15 Blue Parkway is actually designed for more of a 55 plus. So well, you're there, there at, is that there is a component of that. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, so a lot of that, those rentals and they're all rentals. There's not that you can buy. So next thing you're looking at, it's a brand new development. You know, we're talking, you know, is it affordable income, uh, housing? You know, I sit there and look at the price. What, what's going to be the cost of the rental on those units? And I think they're $1,500, $1,600 for a one, two bedroom. You know, I have to do a little bit more, you know, get back to some of my notes on that. Um, we just finished uh, projects downtown. I mean, they're still working in the apartments. They're on 2nd Street. You know, so is there a need for more apartments in that area, which already has a large single family component to it? And there's actually a large number of apartments already just east uh, going down, and I forget the street, but just east of where we're going, where that project's going to be uh, built. We already have a lot of apartments to the area. So, you know, going back and and I know I believe the last housing survey was two, housing survey was 2017. You know, we're four years past that. I know the city has had tremendous growth, you know, within those four years and, and prior to that. So, looking at some of the different needs. Is that the right area or is it supposed to be in a different area uh, that we would need apartments or is it more are we going to look at single family homes you know so that's that's where i look at it it's when i look at that downtown uh, development the project excuse me is you know i i love a farmer's market i you know i go to the one only summit um my wife and i love to go to those when i sit down and look at it is everything else that goes along with it, that they're putting onto it, what is that going to bring into the city? Uh, how much, because we, we're competing against independence, we're competing against Kansas City, uh, Overland Park, Olathe. So trying to sit down and say, okay, where are we going to sit down and really understand how much it will it bring in um, within that venue and how much will it be used for the meeting space, the conservatory uh, that's there? I mean, and again, we always look for meeting spaces uh, that's different and so forth. And just want to make sure that uh, it's going to be utilized. Okay. Kirk, you mentioned, um, and, and I hate to use the phrase, but I'm going to anyway, um, mm -hmm. affordable housing in, in that. And you use it not in the uh, sort of the technical sense, but in a more like, what's the affordability of these properties? And I think that's a really interesting question to raise. Uh, if you look at the average cost of a newly built house single family home as you uh, i think expressed mm -hmm. preference for in lee summit it is in excess right now of three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cost if you are a firefighter or a police officer 
or a school teacher, um, three, I think, things that every politician will, will state out loud and stamp on a box to say that they support a, a new school, a new firefighter, one of a brand new hire, perhaps off of the sales tax that we're, we're voting on in April, comes in, cannot afford to buy a new house in Lee Summit. They could perhaps be able to afford an apartment or a townhome or something of that nature. Does that enter into your calculus when you're doing this? Or is there, or is there something about a rental versus an ownership thing that, that is fundamental for you? When I sit down and look at it, you also have to sit down and say, okay, you set an average price of 350000 so, and that's new and that's new construction. I will yeah. I will I will caveat that. Okay. So in, in looking at that with new construction, yes, I'd love a new house. You know, and I, I look at what my means are and I look what I can afford. So that everybody has to take into consideration. So there are plenty of housing options through Lee Summit. Um, you know, and they're going pretty quick, it's starting to slow down in the, in the home sales right now. But there are a lot of different choices around and being able to choose, do I want to live in Raintree? I don't want to live in uh, downtown. I don't want to live in Lakewood. You know, it's you got to sit down and say, okay, what can I afford? And going back with that, um, up until the single family, you know, it was a preference for me because the greatest way to build wealth within it is owning a property. And yes, we're getting into some interesting financial times uh, as of late, but really in comparison to renting and looking at some of the cost to rent a place where you have no equity coming out of it, your home mortgage is actually a little bit less, depending on which one you go. It's not a new home unless you can have the down payment and so forth. So when we come back to that, as I look at people have to be smart about their money. Yes, I want to leave, live in Lee Summit. When I came down here, you know, I looked at 20 different homes in Lee Summit. And I found the one that would actually fit what my wife and I and my son wanted to what my budget was. And everybody has to be smart about that. If you want to extend overextend yourself, you're always going to be within that financial need, it might say. Well, this is one of our favorite topics. So if you want to go another three hours, we'll stay on this one. <laughs> uh, Nobody else yeah. is going to listen, but we can yeah. have some fun. We can, we can go for a long time on housing. <laughs> we like to dig in on this one. But it, for the sake of any of our four listeners – I'm going to, I'm going to move, I'm going to move on. And, and, and really, I think, you know, you, you, this fits well. So one of the things uh, you alluded to this earlier, one of the things that you said in your response, one of the reasons that you are running for city council was that some of the reasons you and your family first moved here that you feel are, are, are missing or, or disappearing. Right. And, and 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 I want to ask ask about that because one of the things the next city council body is going to have to do, one of the first things it's going to have to do, arguably the second most important thing it will be doing, right, is hire a new city manager, hire right. the the executive that will actually run the city every day. Steve Arbo will be retiring in in September. He has been here for a very long time. When he leaves. We will lose a lot of institutional knowledge and a person that has been at the helm of the city through a very significant period of growth for the last 20, 20 years. So as you as you think about your reasons for running, that 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 piece of Lee Summit that you want to make sure stays a thing, what attributes of a, of a city manager are you going to be looking for in your perception that's going to make Lee Summit the best it can be? When I sit down and think of going, it's a city manager coming in and be able to look at the city, 
understand not only the needs of now, you know, so we sit down, we're writing a budget yearly. We're sitting down and have to make sure that it's a balanced budget, that we have the funds to get it in, but also saying, okay, I may be physically responsible to be able to set us up for 10, 20 years down the road and have be able to work with the long-term vision between the night plan, uh, a comprehensive plan through um, just understanding where the development within industry is going to be to be able to sit down and balance having the growth and have to hire new more people, but also make sure the money's going to be there. So first and foremost, fiscally responsive, uh, responsible, understanding what it takes to balance, engage, and be able to grow the city in, in, in a way that uh, everybody between the council and residents uh, like. Are there are there things, that I, and I'm still thinking a little bit about your answer. Can, could you maybe tell us what you think is missing, like the, the pieces of, of, of the community that you think are missing and how, I guess, what you're looking for and somebody that's going to bring that back? Well, and again, I don't necessarily think it was a, it was a city manager missing. So when I sit down and take a look of how we reacted to. Well, I guess, I guess, and I want to clarify the reason, the reason I'm, the reason I'm making it about hiring the city manager is because as a council, right, you, you set that goal and the mission and then the city Mm -hmm. manager has to make it happen. So if you're going to paint the picture of this is something I love about our community, but I think it's missing now. And Mm -hmm. I want to hire a person that's going to bring that back. I guess what's that hole? What's what the what's the hole you're trying to fill? Well, again, I'm I'm more towards business, small business, entrepreneurship. So when we sit down and look at how the department, you know, we can look at the planning department, development services, sits down and is able to engage not only large corporations but also individual entrepreneurs. How do we make the process for them easier or streamlined? Not easier, but streamlined. To make sure that they can actually come and know they can invest and not take a long time to get their project up and running within Lee Summit. Um, and talking to some developers and smaller developers and so forth, you know, it could take a long time, almost up to a year to get a project going uh, through development services. And so is that a turnoff to people wanting to invest within Lee Summit? You know, so is there a way we can streamline that, that saying we can get that going. And so that's where the city manager is going to be able to work with the, with the development services and say, okay, how can we make this more enticing to people wanting to invest businesses wanting to be within Lee Summit? Um, but also along the lines of keeping businesses open. Uh, and again, hopefully we'll never ever have uh, what we had the last two years, uh, the whole COVID, the pandemic, all that kind of stuff. That I really think you would, you would lose every election ever possibly done, including ones you didn't run in, if you hoped for more of the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, and again, it, it just, I mean, again, there's so much that we learn, but there's a lot of different things that, you know, watching people, you know, how they fought to stay uh, in business. And it's just trying to be, make sure that Lee Summit embraces that. And the city manager looks at the different services we have, you know, development service, planning, industrial commissions, and, and be able to sit down and say, okay, how can we pull this together and make it that once we get that in, we're financially or physically responsible to develop our infrastructure, make sure our roads, our water lines, all that stuff is, is in top notch. So we don't have to spend a lot of access on that. We have future planning, get with the department heads and understanding, okay, look, what's the lifespan of a water main? You know, are we nearing that? It's not going to become an emergency. Uh, I'm driving downtown Kansas City uh, from where I work in Main Street. It's, it's like a Mario Kart race because it's all torn up uh, because that's what they're doing now. So 
it's really trying to take a look 20 years down the road and saying, okay, we've got a plan for when is this going to go out? You know, when is the lifespan of some of our utilities, uh, our roads? Uh, and then as we grow upon that, how do we incorporate that to move forward? All right. Now we're going to go, uh, Kirk, to our final question and the most important question that we will ask you. And, and really, I mean, if you think about the damage you just did by um, angering the pro-COVID base of Lisa. <laughs> This uh, just I'm just saying this it just your, adds, this it is adds, your chance to make up for it. Right. Okay. Gonna, it adds a little bit of pressure to our final question. Now, we've been doing these interviews for five years now. Uh, this is our fifth election cycle for the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. I think that means we're ready for elementary school, Jason. Um, I've changed. If you've listened before, you know kind of where we go at the end. But we've but, had but a, we've had a theme. We've talked we've about a, in the past the competition in quality between tacos and hamburgers. Now, I think over the time we have scientifically and categorically proven that tacos are superior to burgers. There's and we're not having, ceiling. we're not even talking that question anymore. We've moved on. We've and moved so on. now I really just want to know the one time that you will be judged by your so-so and average hosts. Kirk, where's the best taco in town? Ooh. In town now, Lee Summit or all Kansas City? No, Lee travel? Summit. Lee, Lee Summit. Summit. Okay, we okay. are hyper local. You're not okay. running for city council in Kansas City. Yet, so I know you are running for city council in Lee Summit. You got to know I, your tacos here. Well, you know, I, I, I love food and I love restaurants, so that's why I'm saying I go all over the place. Um, right now, um, when I sit down and look at it, I like the low fente just by my house. That's a fine, that, that is a, a fine fair answer. answer. The La Fuente off one fifty, I believe, is mm-hmm. what he's talking about. I don't remember which number that is. I know, I, I know, it's I know. Fuente Douglas by me stop. is number four. That's what we know. That's all I know. <laughs> well, that's an that's a, that is a respectable choice, Kirk, and we're going to let that slide. Um, okay, to, to it's not as that. funny as the one board of education candidate who suggested Taco Bell. Okay. It's a strong. Yeah, that, that's, that was a courageous take. That's a courageous take. We have to. <laughs> it, it, it Kirk, was. Kurt, thank you for taking time to talk with us um, and and manage our our technical and uh, broadcast difficulties as we put this together. We appreciate your flexibility and getting this done. Um, and uh, thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. Well, Nick, Jason, thank you very much. I appreciate the time to come up and talk to you guys. All right. Well, that will wrap up our first candidate conversation for City Council District 1 in this spring 2022 election. We will talk to everybody next time.